You're a swimmer, a cyclist, a runner. You're a triathlete. You're a conqueror of the multi-sport mentality. You seek greatness in your everyday life. But as an age grouper, your forte is the physical fitness that you strive for. Endurance is your middle name. You're listening to the Age Grouper for Life podcast, the ultimate source for living the triathlon lifestyle. Colin and Elliot will discuss the most optimal training techniques to get you where you want to be mentally and physically so you're ready to bring it. You can do it. Ready to bring it? Welcoming your host, Peak Triathlon and USAT certified coaches, Colin Cook and Elliot Kawaoka. Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Colin Cook with... Hey guys, it's Elliot. And this is episode number 26. Uh, and today uh, I am going to be interviewed, I guess, by by Elliot here. We're going to talk about uh, running a sub-three-hour marathon. Yeah, so. and I know you gave this this re- the race recap, I don't know, a few months ago, but That's never right. really talked about... I mean, it's probably been one of my main goals is running a sub three hour marathon or getting a Boston qualifying time, and it's pretty amazing that you did it. Thank you, thank you. Yes, it was definitely uh, a lifelong goal for me, or something I've been focused on for a few years, to say the least, to uh, to achieve, and uh, was definitely very gratifying for sure. So, as far as your training goes, I mean, did you do anything different this time around? I mean, I know you took a whole you took a whole year off of Ironman racing, right? It was actually so. I my last Ironman was two years and a day um, prior to that it was Kona, um, two thousand sixteen. So yeah, it had been really two years of no Ironmans. Nice. So, and you know, you can go both ways with that. You know, the durability and and um, that consistent training can definitely be really good. And as you're newer to the sport, I think really is, is beneficial and in, in helping to get stronger and so forth. But, um, yeah, you know, as I was opening my recovery center, my training plummeted to say the least. And, um, you know, especially with this race, I really earlier in the year, I didn't even think I was going to race at all. Never mind doing Ironman. Um, so then to have, you know, such a good performance was pretty surreal. Uh, but I do think that, you know, taking some time off a little bit and um, letting my body recover um, was, was beneficial as well. I mean, you know Joke took some time off. I remember, I mean, with all your with all your new kids and your business, I mean, you <clears throat> seriously took, like, months off of training. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was in that exerciser mode as opposed to training, um, for sure, where I was, um, actually I was going back to look at my annual numbers and it wasn't quite as bad as it felt like it was still very low training, but I like, I still was doing stuff for the most part. I felt like there was a lot of times where I was completely, um, just working 24 seven. Um, and, and I wasn't quite at that point, but, uh, yeah, um, definitely, definitely took some time off. (laughs) So I'll try to keep this conversation a little organized. So we'll just talk about your training leading up to it. I mean, were there any differences in your, in your run sessions compared to prior Ironmans? I mean, did you do a lot more brick sessions or 
was your volume up a little more? So, yeah, I think, you know, once I, I kind of got to the point where I was getting into my longer runs and so forth, um, I will say that I, I, one thing I've changed and I kind of am a, a bit of a more of a believer in now is, is kind of minimizing the, the delta between your long runs. And so meaning, you know, as you're, you're ramping up, obviously you need to sufficiently ramp those long runs. But, um, once you kind of get up there and, you know, you don't need to be running, you know, 22, 23 miles, uh, every weekend, but by making that long run, um, maybe I can go back and look at it real quick here, but my, my long runs, you know, the comparing that the shortest kind of quote unquote long run to my longest run, there wasn't as much of a, of a variation in those. Um, so that's, I guess what I mean by Delta. So would you say um, you did more, more long runs leading up to it? No, I, I can't say I did that because I kind of decided really only three, four months before the race that I was going to do it. So, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't quite there yet, um, to be able to, um, to get there, but let's see here. I'm going through, let's see. So I did do a 21.6 mile long run was my, my long run leading up to it. Um, I raced the weekend before. And then I did like 16 the year the week before that, and let me get to the next month. But then yeah, it was uh, um, 18 miles, 18 and a half, 17. Um, those were the majority. Um, yeah, another 18. So I kind of um, for me is you know that's kind of right in around that two hour range for most of my um, training runs and so forth. But uh, I didn't really go up too much higher than that but at the same time didn't go significantly lower than that with the exception of the um week leading up to uh the half uh, half iron man that i did um in in september okay and what about sense. so what about your like your weekly volume i mean were you going 50 plus mile weeks or were you, was was it more like i don't know i mean i typically typically around 40 miles a week or so yeah, no, I mean, so I'm, I have to go. To me, I'm I'm really not a fan of of focusing on miles. So yeah. I'm like I'm <laughs> scrambling through looking at my data right now to see what I ended up at. Um, but uh, like one week was um, 32, 33, 45, um, 35, 36. Um, so no, not not crazy amounts um leading up to that there let me check uh september here real quick and see where i was at there but i think i was racing that one so that'll skew it yeah 35 um race week was only 24 and then um yeah even that week that i did uh um longer stuff there was still um 37 38 so not uh, in as far as those miles, especially compared to what you're throwing out there. Now, definitely be lower yeah. than that. So. I mean, you, you look at some of the pro volumes, and they're, I mean, they're running a lot. So yeah, I mean, you. Yeah, I mean, I'm still typically only running, you know, four times a week is is what I typically would average. You know, okay. um, two to three runs, um, or two runs really during the week. You know, a brick run on Saturday off the bike, and then uh, you know the long run on Sunday was my typical layout. So are you a big fan of those monster brick workouts where, I mean, people ride 
relatively long, and then they run a long brick run right after that. I mean, I just never really thought that was a really good idea because it just takes so much out of you. And, but, I mean, it's an Iron Man, and it's kind of hard to, like, piece it all together, you know? I mean, you can do, like, each part on different days, but you never really piece it all together, which kind of makes the whole day unknown for a lot of people. Big time. Yeah, so I am by no means a fan of those really long, you know, brick shots. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of doing, you know, longer bikes and, and spending a lot of time on the bike, but as far as then doing a, a brick super long afterwards, let's see here. Um, September, my longest run off the bike was 4.25 miles. Um, yeah, in my prep here, that looks like that was my longest run off the bike. Okay. Um I guess I did do a few, or maybe contradict that a little bit, is I do like to do some kind of short runs. Uh, I'm sorry, short rides, and then do your your long run off the bike, per per se, like that. Uh, But that's like a maximum of a 45-minute ride um, that you're doing and and leading into that, and just more of almost loosening up so you're in a good state for your your long run there. But uh, it's never a key bike session and a key run session right after I mean, hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, definitely nothing like that. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like your training wasn't that much different than prior years. I mean, you've always been a pretty good marathon runner. I mean, we've kind of talked to that, talked about that before this podcast, but it's, I mean, it wasn't yeah. very shocking to me. I mean, you ran a three Oh four in Canada, which is a very rolly course and a very right. fair course. So, I mean, I knew you had it in you, but yeah, I always, you know, felt like, and I think, um, you know, as time's gone on, obviously, you know, I've continued to improve and, and get better there. And we'll, we'll jump into a few things that I think are big parts of that. Um, but I've always felt like, and it was really actually, I'd say, uh, Ironman Mount Tremblant back in 2013, where I ran a 306. Um, I think my fastest Ironman run split prior to that was like, 315 maybe even closer to 320 um that was kind of a breakthrough run for me and i really felt like i was capable about that for a long time but uh i'd never really put it all together and i'd had you know some cramp side stitch cramping issues that always seemed to slow me down and and cause issues um and other issues that you know killed me back a bit and you know didn't really feel like i was hitting my potential um from that regard and um that's really when things turned and uh, started to get a lot better there. Okay. Let's talk about the race now. And like, so leading up to it, I mean, I know you're a huge fan of pacing properly on the bike, which is probably the reason why you can run so well. But I mean, how important is pacing on the bike and following your power plan or whatnot? Yeah. I mean, you know, really, and you know, it's my, my favorite saying from a race strategy or whatnot is right. As we, we swim and bike for show and we run for dough, right? And it's it's all about setting yourself up to be able to run to your capabilities, right? So, um, you know, one advantage I did definitely have, uh, there's a couple of advantages to, to things that happened in Louisville last, last year, but one of those ones was a shortened swim. So, you know, only being in the water for 15 minutes definitely is a big difference than swimming for 60, 62 minutes, we'll call it here, is probably, you know, what... Um, well, with the current there, probably would have a little faster there. I, I would like to have hoped, but uh, um, you know that's still less time that you're 
that you're, you know, exerting yourself and, you know, from an effort perspective is definitely something that, uh, can affect you over time there and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, you know, really, um, trying to, to maintain a consistent effort there is huge. Um, as we did talk about during my race report, my power meter didn't work. So, uh, I can't validate whether I did that or not, um, (laughs) for this, this race. Um, but uh, I do feel like I was I was riding quite consistently. And I mean, and that's a big de- big thing too. Is like kind of avoiding the big surges and just trying to ride as smooth as possible. I mean, even the year I won in Canada, I mean, I did my power meter crapped out halfway through, and it was completely off a of feel. And I just remember telling myself, just ride smooth, spin easy up the hills. And I mean, we do so much training that you kind of you kind of know like what your power is at. I mean, it's yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, it's definitely something where you should know what your, your, your power is and, you know, you should be able to kind of go blindfolded and, you know, cover your garment and whatnot and, and be able to get relatively close to an idea of what your, what your power is at. And, you know, that can be a huge advantage on race day when you run in situations like we did. Um, so, you know, that's definitely something I'd encourage everyone to, to practice. And, you know, those numbers are extremely helpful. And I, you know, not saying that, uh, I'm going to race my next race without a power meter by any means, but, um, you know, being able to trust your feel there and knowing what those efforts feel like is, is just as important, I think. And if your power meter breaks, I mean, it's not the end of the world. I mean, you, there've been many pros who've done very well in, in, in races or age groupers and, they didn't have power and you could, you'll survive. You just, you got to trust your body and you just got to trust the feel. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, that's really, we, you know, unfortunately nothing's likely going to go perfect on race day. Right. And you got to be able to roll with those punches. And, uh, if you let anything like that affect you, you know, it's, it's definitely gonna, gonna negatively impact your race. And you got somehow your power meter always breaks Colin. I've had a few races like that. I don't know what's up. What's up with that? I mean, it's still overall, it's it's worked uh, most of the time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, there's definitely been a few races that it's happened. But <laughs> all right. So, like, when you get off the bike, are you able to? I mean, I know some people. I, I'm just talking to some people. They're like, "Oh, I know. I knew I was gonna have like a great run just right off the bike." I mean, are you able to know like? Right when you start the run, um, this is going to be a great day. My legs are feeling greater. You sometimes feel pretty crappy, and they kind of like snap out of it and get your running legs back. Yeah, um, I think there's a, a little bit of both. I mean, I think that most of the time I can come off the bike and quickly evaluate and say, "All right, you know, I'm I'm good here and uh, I'm ready to run." And they can say, "Okay." I think I've overdone it. I did overdid a little bit, you know, and probably need to, to tone it back a little bit at the start of the run to make sure that, uh, I don't overdo it too much here and really blow up. But, um, I think, you know, you could definitely have, if you've done it right, you should feel good. And, and I've had those kind of intuition and feelings before. Um, but I've still, still been able to kind of battle through that if I've come off and not felt amazing. Uh, though I did feel really good coming off the bike in, in Louisville. And how was the weather? The weather was abs. Well, <laughs> on the the bike it was absolutely miserable. And uh, for those that didn't listen or aren't aware of the race, yeah, it was uh, quite cold. You know, in the mid mid forties most of the of the bike, and it was raining. And uh, I was intelligent enough to not wear any arm warmers or gloves or anything like that, which 
really, really clam close to DNFing. Um, but, uh, got through it in the second half of the ride, I'd say was tolerable. Um, but, uh, it was once you got off the bike and for running, it was, it wasn't raining anymore, but it was kind of overcast. And I think it was still low fifties. And that is just the sweet spot for me for running. Yeah. That seems pretty ideal. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was really nice for sure. Um, one thing uh, I guess I'll also mention that uh, a little bit too graphic maybe, but uh, I think may have, uh, and I haven't typically done in the past, but in T2, uh, I did take a stop for uh, a number two. And uh, um, I think that that, you know, really just set my stomach into a good place to be able to to push myself for the next three hours or whatnot. Um, so I, I think that, you know, making sure that we're not, you know, too full or, um when we have the opportunity and it may seem like it was, it was slow, you know, or slow down our transition. I think I still had a decently reasonable transition time, but, uh, I think it's important to, to take advantage of that when we have to. And I think that's an important, I mean, that's a, that's a very valid point. I mean, I, one thing I kind of learned over, I mean, we've done several Ironmans throughout it, but just being comfortable throughout the day. I mean, I'm not saying brush your teeth and, hang out and transition but you want to i mean if it's a cold race i say spend the extra 30 seconds to put on some arm warmers put on the gloves i mean you don't want to be just miserable throughout the entire day because it does i mean being cold and shivering that saps energy so just being comfortable throughout the day is is key it really is. I mean, you know, so we want to be efficient in transition and, you know, I definitely regret not putting arm warmers in my gloves and, you know, I, I had them with me. I started to put them on I started to scramble with them and I said, ah, uh, I don't need them then. And, uh, I, I definitely regret that decision and it really, really came close to, to causing me to DNF. So, um, take that little extra time and, uh, it is, it is definitely worth it. But same thing goes in transition too. And I mean, even at the top end when you're racing for, for the win or, you know, podium and whatnot in Kona Slots, um, you know, taking a, a – it's it's very rare uh, that, that it's going to be, you know, more than – or, you know, less than 10 seconds, let's call it, the difference between you and the next person to you, right? So, I mean, um, get yourself into a good spot and, and let yourself be at your best. And, and sometimes we get too caught up in every second that uh, we don't allow ourselves to do that. Yeah. I mean, even like Matt Russell, he changes into run shorts on the run. So Right. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> totally good point. Yeah. So I want to hear about um, some form or technique tips that you'd like to share with us. I mean, I know you're a big fan of cadence work and um, just having a high cadence, especially with um, Ironman running or actually triathlon running in general, but... Is there stuff you want to share about that? Totally, yeah. Um, and actually, I guess one other thing that's noteworthy um, from this run is um, on the bike, my DI2 actually wasn't, my shifting wasn't working properly, and I ended up riding the last 30-plus miles um, in the small ring. And so that forced me to have to ride with a very high cadence, and there was times where Again, because my power meter wasn't working, I don't know what my cadence was, but I was definitely over 110 for some kind of consistent <laughs> points, um, just trying to get everything I could out of some downhills and whatnot. Um, but, you know, I, I am a, a big fan of 
definitely if you're more of a masher or, or your cadence is dropping or, or is relatively low as you're finishing off the bike to really try to pick that up because I think that develops the the kind of muscle memory that you need um, to, to really get those legs firing and, and continue on in that motion um, as you get off the bike. See, and that's, a very, that's a very interesting point because there are some other articles out there that completely contradict that too. I mean, there's yep. some pros that yep. are riding 70, 60 <laughs> I mean, really slow cadences were mm-hmm. there. So, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the high cadence, too, but that's a very uh, interesting... I didn't know about your small chain ring and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, and normally I do consider myself to be more of a masher. I'm typically, like, 80 to more like 85, um, sometimes 90, but I rarely go up above 90 for an average cadence um, for an Ironman. And... Um, uh, it would be nice to to know what exactly I was at for this race, but uh, it definitely was was up there. I can assure you for the for the last thirty miles out of necessity. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, um, you know, and and that's something you should definitely test and and see what works best for you. Um, same thing with running cadence, but overall, I feel especially with running that it does cadence does so much and if you're running at a high cadence it's it's really going to help you to put yourself into the most efficient possible uh position possible that can just help you to to really maintain that efficiency especially as we start fatigue and you know we naturally want to drop our cadence and then we become less efficient and you know we end up spending more effort to go slower so So for those that aren't used to running at a high cadence and they want to work on that i mean what are some tools that they can use and training to kind of incorporate higher cadence running and running i mean i just it seems so unnatural at first if you're just so used to running at a lower cadence and it's just kind of like i don't know it's learning like anything new it's like feels very foreign at first i mean what are some tools that you that you can use to uh help with that yeah so i mean it it is it's going to feel very unnatural and you know um it's i work with a lot of my clients on improving on this and so forth and i guess advice number one is you know let's say your average steps per minute right now is like 150 or 160 and you know you you say you maybe have a goal of getting up to that 180 point or something that that is typically kind of the the standard whatnot do not try to do that immediately um because that will lead to at least significant soreness, um, but can also just be because you're because you're really changing the way you're running and you're using different muscles different ways and yeah, it's definitely going to cause you to use your calves a little bit more and so forth and um, I've unfortunately had a few clients over the years that when we've been working on this they've gotten a little bit too aggressive with it and then they uh, end up with some significant soreness or even um, actually I had one gal that like she just absolutely smoked her her calves and like could barely walk um, after uh, a race that she did and we had just started working on it earlier that week um, so that it's really got to be a gradual process and you know to stay healthy and do this um, that that is my number one recommendation there but from there you know it's really all about landing you know primarily for most people on their midfoot and allowing you know your your foot to land underneath your body so that your entire body can absorb that impact and so it's it's really just thinking about short steps and kind of for some people literally like they're not even almost moving forward with how small of steps they're taking you know and it, it feels extremely bizarre but once you get it um 
it, it's going to do so many good things for you just uh, with your economy again. And um, it's especially if you're a heel striker, it, it's going to make some I can all but guarantee it'll be a game changer for you. So would you say no matter what speed you're running at, I mean, if you could have it at 180 strides per minute, that would be ideal. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is you shouldn't change your stride length based on how fast you're running. Correct. Okay. Right. So if we're if we're running correctly, um, and you know, as a bigger guy, right, that's typical that you know, I may not have quite as as high a cadence as say uh, Steve Vargo or somebody that uh, that we also had in the podcast there, or you Elliot, that uh, you know is a little bit uh, uh, smaller, and um, you know it's it's more natural to to take uh, more steps and so forth. So that that stride length isn't going to be quite as long, um, but. Yes, you know you should definitely be able to uh, to establish that and um, work towards you know that that higher point. Good deal. Yeah, but that is uh, a huge piece, and you know, um, right, let's let's run through kind of uh, a lot of times what I'm thinking, you know, going into to the marathon, and you know. One, you know, hopefully your your legs are feeling good, which mine certainly were in Louisville, as we kind of discussed. Um, but you know, that pacing for those first few miles is hands down the most important thing that you can do. And you know, being able to tone yourself back, and you know, if you're serious about your development and you're in this for the long haul, um, you know, going sometimes literally, uh, you know, a minute if not slower. Then what your goal pace is for those first five to six model, miles, excuse me, is is absolutely pivotal, pivotal and, and essential um, as you're learning how to to really run, you know, your best marathon off the bike. And for those people, you know, that if they're in a, it's really a, a methodology that we're big fans of is you know really trying to negative split the even the Ironman marathon, and you have to go out at a reasonable pace and sometimes almost too slow of a pace to, uh, in order to achieve that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so beneficial in, in many ways. Um, you know, I think primarily really from a, a mental perspective, right. You know, and there's, there's other coaches and, and other organizations that do the complete opposite where they expect their athletes to slow down. And I am so against that and, and feel like that's just the, the wrong methodology. Um, because, and I think it's really more almost from a mental perspective, because, you know, as we start to slow down, you very well could be passed by people, but, you know, you're looking down and seeing your splits on your garment or whatnot every, every mile. And, you know, as you see those slow, you're saying, oh my God, oh my God, you yeah, know, your heart the, rate's already th- through the roof. I think that's the, the worst feeling when you feel like you're running a six minute mile and you look down and it's like a nine minute mile. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So it's just not putting yourself in the right mental state to, you know, continue on. So you start thinking, oh, I can't do this. You know, this sucks. You know, I'm off here, um, you know, and, and that's just going to bleed through. Right. And you're going to continue to have these negative thoughts and and continue to, to likely slow down or not perform as well as you're capable of. Whereas if you do go a little bit slower at the beginning and, you know, you get your heart rate down, you get totally settled into the run and then you start to you be able to pick it up. Whereas, I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to see how many people in a Man, I mean, especially in the second half of the of the run, that are walking. Yeah. Right. Like, what percentage of that is? It's just out it's of control. Pretty large. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's you know, a, a significant portion. So to me, it's it's all about being able to set yourself up to really run the entire marathon and. 
Um, you know, that's that, and that doesn't mean uh, you can't walk, uh, excuse me, you incorporate in some walk breaks and at the aid stations doing some things. Um, you know, for, for Louisville, I did not stop at any of the aid stations um, or walk at any of them. I ran the entire time. But uh, um, for a lot of people, that's the right strategy is to, you know, one, it gives you a mental break, which is huge. Um, but you need to be able to get your point yourself to the point where you're not, you know, blowing up and slowing down significantly at the end of the race. And even though, you know, you look at the numbers and you should be able to run faster than you are until you can prove to yourself that you can actually really run the marathon, you shouldn't be, you know, thinking about that and, and what you're, you know, going out too hard and you, you've got to settle. And, uh, that's definitely the, the number one piece of advice that I have. Okay. Yep. Um, so, you know, when I went out and going in, um, this race here, why don't we actually, I'll just spit out my whole splits here for, for the race. So, I mean, and I guess, you know, a huge, huge advantage, especially as a bigger guy, um, that may have had a pound or two extra on him, um, for this race. Um, you know, having it, it was a, it's a very flat course according to my Garmin here. Um, where is it here? 180 feet total, um, elevation. Um, that is flat. So, um, you know, that was extremely helpful to me in order to keep my heart rate in check. Um, and, you know, keep that, that pacing pretty consistent and so forth. And that was, you know, extremely helpful again as a bigger guy. And, and I think for most people to be able to keep that consistency can really help in, in being able to, to run the way that you want to, um, you know, obviously the course is going to dictate that. And, you know, that's really where stronger runners, I think shine is when they're able to, to battle through that and, and they're smarter about the Hills and so forth. But, uh, that was a, a huge, huge piece of my success. I feel, uh, for, for this race here. So how do you, so, I mean, you're not a big fan of open marathons, so you don't really know like what exact marathon time you're shooting for. So are you pacing based off of heart rate or do you just go on? All right. I know a six fifty pace is around a three hour marathon. I'm going to, try to feel comfortable around that kind of pace and see, I mean, how do you, how did you pick the pacing that you started off with? I mean, because I, I'm looking at your splits right now and it, they are like super consistent. Yeah. Um, so that was really more just kind of going off feel. I, I'd say if anything, I am, I'm focused on my cadence number one, uh, number one and, and really my heart rate is number two. Um, and so I really want to make sure, especially as I, I head out there that those first few miles, you know, I'm keeping that heart rate relatively low and, uh, I'm not overdoing it there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, when I, so it looks like my average heart rate for the run was 161 beats per minute, which to me is for a, like first there again, we don't know. I haven't done a standalone marathon for a long time, so, uh, I don't know what it would be there, but, um, you know, I know when I typically do a half marathon, you know, my standalone half marathon average heart rate is usually like 181, 182. So it's significantly lower than, you know, if I'm really, really running, you know, hard and whatnot. So you're running um, close, maybe like high end zone two, low zone three heart rate. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'd say that's, that's about fair, you know, especially as we're starting out. Um, you know, I did, did let it elevate here, you know, once we got really on the, second half of the run or so i'd say um a little bit but uh it was still still relatively low there um but yeah from a split perspective so if we run through them all 
you know, it was 643, 646, 650, 640, 648, 645, 649, 646, 640, 652, 651, 653, 652, 650, 657, 655, 651, 659, 651, 701, 658, 652, 712, 708, 701, and then 648. Um, so I did have those two, uh, two seven minute miles in there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, still, I guess from my fastest mile, technically, let's see, I did have a 640. So there was 32 seconds, I guess is actually, um, higher than I would have liked the gap between my fastest and my slowest mile, but that was, you know, mile 23, um, versus mile, uh, four. Um, so you know, that, but, uh, it was really all about, you know, keeping that heart rate in check and, and feeling, you know, good. And, you know, but I'm not saying that you're going out for a casual stroll here, obviously, you know, <laughs> I'm going out there and I'm, and I'm running, but, uh, it, it really felt comfortable. And, and one thing, uh, maybe would should wait on this, but, um, I really didn't get to the point where I was like really, really hurting until I'd say mile 22 or so. And, you know, when you get yourself to that point at, you know, mile six or even mile 13, that is a hell of a lot harder than, you know, when you're, you're waiting and and not having to find that, that next level, you know, for only, you know, four or five miles or whatnot. Um, So I think that that was really, really huge for me as well. I mean, what are some mental tips you use when you get to that point? Because, I mean, we've all experienced that kind of, wow, this really, really sucks. And, I mean, we've always kind of talked about it. Like, you're going to have to find a reason deep down inside where you want to push yourself. But what are some some of your mental strategies that you use when you get to that point? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess to just agree with that, I mean, I think it is unbelievable how – easy and how much our mind can try and justify slowing down. Right. And it's really just not letting it. Right. It's, it's straight up saying, you know, this is what I'm doing, you know, it within reason. Right. I mean, you know, that's where is if, you know, I got the, you know, mile 13 and my heart rates, you know, up at 168, 170 or something like that, I, I would have been in trouble and I, I would have likely, you know, slowed down if something like that was happening. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it, to me, it's, it's all about just focusing on my form and, and staying in the moment and, and ensuring that I'm doing everything that I can, you know, technique wise. Um, you know, I, I definitely like to, to try and play off the crowd as best I can. You know, I'm somebody that will definitely, you know, even call out to, to spectators if, uh, you know, they're quiet or, um, you know, anything I can do to, to engage and, uh, you know, very appreciative typically of, um, of people, you know, that may change in the last six miles or so when you really get in the, the hurt cave there. But, uh, um, you know, keeping those thoughts positive and, and appreciating what you're doing is, is tremendously beneficial. Again, kind of goes back to that strategy of when you're slowing down and, and you're getting into that, that negative mental state, it's just going to crush you. And, you have to be doing what you can to, to stay positive and, and, you know, so 
to me, you know, I'm always very rarely coming off the bike in, in the front of my age group. And so, you know, it's seeing, you know, progress maybe that I'm making on some of the guys that are out in front of me and, you know, looking at them and knowing how much better I look than they do and so forth and, and taking anything I can as a positive and just throwing out any of the the negative. That's another thing. So do you like when people tell you where you're at in your age group or do you like to just race and just see where you're at 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 the end of the day? So I definitely am not a huge fan of like, I don't, I don't want to know, you know, all right, I'm in sixth place and I'm, you know, 20 minutes off the lead or something like that. Um, that, that kind of stuff I think is, is a little bit too much. Um, I, you know, I, and we've talked about, it, I guess a little bit like in Ironman Texas back in 2016, I think I was 11th off the bike. And if somebody told me that I probably would have been a bit demoralized and, and, uh, not been in a strong mental state, you know, knowing that. Um, so not knowing that I think helped me, you know, a lot to be able to, to push through there. Um, that being said, when, you know, when things get, get interesting and it's really, you know, that, that second half of the marathon, um, actually I did, (laughs) I came around, uh, the, it's a two loop course in Louisville and, um, I had, uh, some of my clients there and unfortunately a few of them that, that didn't make it, um, they got too cold on the bike and, um, so I saw them and, you know, I was <laughs> actually, that was, uh, a little bit of a negative point for me cause I was really disappointed that they still weren't out there. Um, but I was kind of hoping for them to, to tell me what, uh, what place I was in and so forth. And they didn't. Um, so, uh, uh, but there was actually a little bit of chatter I had with, with other, um, competitors out there that, um, I did ask them or, uh, we chat a little bit about what place we thought we were in and so forth as, uh, passes were being made and so forth. Um, so I, I still actually, it wasn't, um, till the, till the finish line that I know that I was uh, second in my age group or, you know, second amateur, um, really wasn't aware that, um, there was one guy that I, you know, kept seeing that was a ways out in front of me that I was hoping was a pro, but, uh, um, was indeed in my age group. And, um, uh, but the other guys, um, you know, I had a pretty good idea that, that I was out and ahead of, and, um, I felt for most, at least even at the second half without knowing I was, I was pretty confident that I was, uh, in a conus can, you know, conus slot, uh, place or whatnot. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So you never walked it, during that entire run. I did not walk a step, no. And did you give your competitors any high fives? I did not, no. Good. <laughs> Learning from the best. Uh, wait, I'm sorry, wait, yes I did. Yes I did, <laughs> I take that back. I gave Mr. Vargo a few high fives, okay. I think. And um, there was a couple other uh, Northeast multi-sporters out there, I believe, that uh, when I had the chance, uh, gave them a high five. So, okay. no doubt. So um, and I chatted, there was a couple, couple other guys that I knew and if I couldn't high five them or whatever, would give them, you know, praise and, you know, there's a couple other zoot people out there and stuff and, you know, it's a good job zoot and stuff. Um, so anything you can, you know, bring that energy up. Yeah. I think that's something I need to work on since I, uh, ignored you that one time. <laughs> Everything's gone downhill. <laughs> hey, you brought it up, you know, uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, you, you can only control what you're doing, you know, but if you can help other people and, um, you know, just take in that energy, I think it's really only going to help you. 
So, you know, pushing even people in my age group, you know, even I've uh, actually in this race, I think it was one, one guy when I was passing him, you know, I was like, you're doing great, you know, and and I think that was towards the end. I said, like, you hold this, you got it, you know, you're going to get a slot. So just, just hang in there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do those things and and mean it when I say it. You're a nice guy, Colin. (laughs) Well, be a different story if we were headed you know side by side to the line there or something you know but <laughs> <laughs> you know trip you <laughs> that's right that's right uh um but yeah and then i mean and i guess one thing we should definitely talk about is you know nutrition oh, is yeah. you know is very just monstrumental monst- in the success here so you know that all really starts by you know going relatively heavy and and making sure that you know you're not starting your marathon super dehydrated and depleted right it's just science right i mean you just can't you're not going to be able to perform at your best if you don't have the the nutrients and things that your body needs to be able to perform at its best right yeah so um you know big big fan of of carrying my own nutrition um one thing I have switched over to the last uh, few years is uh, I actually only drink water at the aid stations. I do not drink Gatorade. Um, you know, I, I bring my own nutrition on the bike. Uh, the whole race, I'm I'm self-supported. Um, I do. Um, uh, the last few years, I've been using Scratch as my um, fluids uh, on the bike. So I will, you know, grab water at the aid station. I'll pour it into my aero bottle, and then I'll dump some scratch into the aero bottle to to mix things up. So that allows me. So I, it's still hard. I do carry two bento boxes on my bike to, in order to carry everything, um, but it allows me to get the the quality products that uh, that I believe in and work best for me. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit harder to do on the run. So. Uh, my nutrition plan involves just using water as, you know, my liquid, um, and then just taking more gels and gummies, um, to be able to compensate for that. What kind of gels? Uh, so I'm a big, big fan of, of glucose. Um, and so using the glucose gels and the glucose gummies, um, is what I've primarily done. And then using base salt, um, to get my, my sodium, potassium and, and so forth in. Okay. So... The, the other thing that, that I think a lot of people challenge with, especially once you start to hurt, is, um, you know, they stop taking in nutrition. And, you know, it depends where you are in the race, I guess, but that's just a big, big mistake. Um, you know, you need, again, you know, it comes back to what I was saying there when you're getting off the bike. And if you're a dehydrator, you don't have the nutrients that your body needs, it's not going to be able to perform. So you have to kind of force it sometimes to make sure that you're getting everything in, um, you know, so that, uh, so that you're not so depleted. And then what about, uh, drinking Coke on the run? Do you... So I didn't didn't need to do that. I didn't have any coke um, during uh, during Louisville here. Um, I definitely have resorted to it in the past. Um, you know, if you get to the point where you know you're really past that you know point and and you're really depleted, um, I think it's a good move and it you know gets those sugars to you really quickly and can really help uh, you know to pick things up. Um, but as I always say, once you go to the coke, you can't go back. Right? Yeah. You got to stick with it pretty much the rest of the race. It's it's hard to get yourself back totally replenished and you know it's typically a sign that you've kind of underdone it to that point um if you needed to get there but um it, it can definitely be a good solution to try and work yourself out of it yeah um 
with the nutrition. Uh, another thing that I did do that was different um, is um, I did actually at my uh, run special needs bag, I had some bone broth in there and I drank a little bit of bone broth. So it's, it's definitely something that uh, um, big, big fan of in my, in my family, in my house and my wife makes us um, bone broth regularly and, and have that and a lot of soups and different things that I think is, is really good for our bodies overall. Um, but it's really can help settle the stomach, the stomach, excuse me. And, um, you know, you, you will find chicken broth, especially later on in races or when it gets darker and colder as an option at eights at a lot of races, aid stations. Um, but I brought, um, actually I got it at whole foods, but, uh, um, kettle and fire is the brand. Um, but I, I had my own bone broth that I, uh, took a few swigs of, um, as I, uh, headed out for the second lap. I'm writing all this down, Colin. <laughs> yeah. So you just put it in a little bottle in your in your bag? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I just put it in a, you know, water bottle, that, uh, you know, not Poland Springs, whatever, some kind of plastic bottle yeah. uh, that uh and and put it in my special needs that morning and um I mean, I guess the the one thing you you could be a little fearful of if it's a super hot race and how warm it gets, although I guess bone broth typically is served warm anyways so maybe it's all right but uh you may want to be a little bit conscious of that and ensuring that it's uh that it's all right yeah and i'm sure that helped too i mean it's salty as well right yeah yeah, absolutely yep yep so it kind of uh gives you a good boost there as well okay Uh, and yeah i mean i think you know i've um made some pretty big changes with my nutrition you know over the years and take that very seriously and um Minus the ice cream stints, you know, I eat pretty well um, and, and been good on those lately. But uh, in all seriousness, you know, I, and I mentioned, you know, the cramping issue I used to have and, you know, my right side, you know, they typically feel it's it's something with your diaphragm. Um, but uh, that, that kind of just under your rib cage, you know, getting this nasty cramp there and that used to plague me um, at races, um, still has, even Kona, 14 or even you know the, i think even the best year i did there i still had some cramping issues that and it kind of slowed me down and that's always kind of been what's what's held me back in the run it's not necessarily that my heart rate's too high or that i'm just too sore and too tired it's that i just have such a deep cramp that i can't run through it and whatnot so um i've been able to get through that knock on wood the last few years i mean i think making sure you don't overexert yourself to that point is is critical as well especially on the bike and so forth but um, you know, not having cramps obviously is going to really help you to, to perform your best. Right. No, and I, I look back on all my races and I think my worst runs have been when my nutrition plan just goes out the window, whether I stop eating or just keep throwing up or, I mean, it's nutrition. So you brought up a good point is, I mean, nutrition is very key. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's really something that you gotta, you got to practice and you just got to, you know, every, all this stuff, it's, it's staying in the moment, making sure you're doing what you can to, to be at your best. And so that's, you know, thinking about your running technique, making sure you're nailing your nutrition and doing all those things. And if you're doing that and you're staying in the moment, the race is going to be over before you know it. And, you know, you're throwing down that PR and, and having a great race. Well, awesome, Colin. Thank you for the interview. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure to speak to it. You know, obviously uh, humbling for sure to uh, to do that, and uh, I'm very happy. Now uh, let's see if I can do it again here. Yep, 
Now your next goal is uh, sub nine. That's right. Sub nine in Hawaii, right? <laughs> uh, that sounds lovely. Give me the conditions they had last year, and um, maybe we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, <laughs> a lot can happen between now and October, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, how are things going with you, my man? Pretty good. Um, weather's somebody, starting to finally somebody, warm up. Uh, did somebody sign up for an Ironman? I, I believe. Yep. Can't get away from. Did we it. already? Did we already <laughs> confirm that? I don't think we did on air. Did Not we? Not on air. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> In July, I'm doing. Uh, going back to the Promised Land. Have you done that one before? Um, many times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think. There's one difference. I think the hilly. Uh, Elliot and I there. Uh, yeah, you like doing yeah. all these uh, all Go. these new races, but I. I don't know. I I I love like the hills, and I like how on the bike it particularly breaks people up, and it really kind of gets rid of all the drafting, which I just yeah. kind of pisses me off lately. So, I think it's a very fair course, and I tend to do pretty well on hilly courses. So it suits me well. It does. That little body to the test, right? Yeah. Climbing like a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> uh awesome so yeah i mean uh hopefully uh certainly most of us in the u.s here are getting into the thick of things now uh you know i'm pretty well on my way with my ironman santa rosa prep here and uh things are going pretty well with that um it's uh still cold here in new england elliot's praising his warm 70s temperatures today in seattle i'm Uh, up here in my attic with my shirt off because it's so hot up here (laughs) (laughs) uh not the case here but uh hopefully soon enough um but uh yeah happy training everybody thanks for listening uh definitely let us know if you have any questions or uh follow-ups here but uh uh we appreciate it yep take care guys all right thanks everybody have a good one we'll see you next time